Previously on Myth Tarot Love, we examined the Page of Swords and Spies from the Iliad. Today's show will focus on the Knight of Swords and Alexander the Great. Myth and Tarot Where do the ideas go? Let's talk about stories, swords, and symbols And all of the above Myth, Tarot, Love Welcome to Myth Tarot Love, the show about ancient stories and new aged wisdom. I'm Biddy, your expert in classics. And I'm Rose, your resident tarot practitioner. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. Today we're talking about the Knight of Swords. Yes. Uh, the Knight of Swords is probably the most violent card in the deck. Really? I'm going to I'm going to make that claim. Okay. Um, because where other cards can represent violence, none of them actually like have a symbol of violence, <laughs> like the Knight All of Swords right. does. Um, so the Knight of Swords is very air quality. And when we think about it, um, I would say this is, in this case, air when it's a little bit um, more like a tornado. <laughs> <laughs> so like the air is very fast moving and you can kind of tell when you just look at this card, out of all of the knights, the Knight of Swords is galloping on mm -hmm. his horse right like yeah. the other knights they tend to be you know some of them are moving but none of them really have this fury in the horse's eyes um and in this case you even have this the knight who is holding his sword up and racing towards um whatever foe is happening okay so let's describe the card a little bit more before getting into details so uh, one of the first things I notice in this card is actually the clouds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, because they're very, almost like jagged. They're super jagged. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is, and normally you see clouds like that when there's fast winds. Right. Right. Um, and when you have fast winds, you have a lot of change happening. So if one, so one of the things I personally see when I look at this card is I'm like, okay, you've got fast moving winds, you have changing weather. You have, so you have something that's going to be very much in this, this time of change. Can that kind of be a, the tornado idea? <laughs> exactly, right? So you've got this tornado or maybe like some sort of storms coming, <laughs> something like that. Um, you also, it, it's kind of similar to a little bit um, the way the Page of Swords was, uh, where he was standing and there were some trees at the bottom mm -hmm. and there were also some clouds that looked kind of like they might be moving. Um, but in this case, it's like the wind's really picked up. Okay. Um, so you still have the trees in the bottom, only this time they're actually bent over a little bit <laughs> as if the wind is blowing so hard that the trees are actually like a little bit um, suffering for it. Um, you're, the horse in this for this Knight of Swords is, like I mentioned before, kind of wild-eyed, showing his teeth as if he's oh, yeah. panting. Um, he's got both of his feet stretched out as if this is a full gallop. And, uh, you know, mane is whipping in the, in the air. Um, and then you've got the actual knight. And this knight, is, he's got this expression that's fierce. Um, his helmet's actually pulled up to show his face. And I think that's kind of interesting because it shows, like, the personal nature of the way that this knight um, does battle. Mm -hmm. Right? He actually wants people to see his face. Yeah, to know that it's him. Know that it's him coming because it's mm -hmm. almost like that's more scary to his <laughs> foe perhaps to know it's yeah. him than uh, to, you know, hide the face or protect it. 
he and that's kind of the way he does battle as well the knight of swords is very upfront and in your face and definitely does not hide because uh one of the things is the knight of swords doesn't really think he can fail and that's part of what makes mm. him so strong mm -hmm. <laughs> he doesn't really understand that failure is a possibility um something else i think is interesting is that the sword is in his right hand and raised up as if it's like a battle cry, mm -hmm. but the tip of the sword is actually hidden. And I, this is actually also the case for the Page of Swords, that the, the tip of the sword for the Page of Swords was also hidden. Um, and I think that's an interesting concept. Yeah, what do you think that it means, represents? I think it's showing a little bit that, um, this, like having an incomplete sword, I think it's showing a little bit that the um, the concepts behind the sword is also a little bit incomplete. Okay. So I think in this case, the Knight of Swords very much is embodying a, um, the sword as well uh, mm -hmm. in the idea of um, air and rationality, no emotion, and also power. But he's kind of, it's like there's a piece that's missing mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I would say that's probably the biggest downfall in for the, the Knight of Swords. Um, Although usually when the Knight of Swords appears, it's very binary. It's very black or white of whether or not it's going to be useful for you. Um, and But you really have to be careful to look at the other cards that are involved, right? Um, because it is possible for the Knight of Swords to bring disaster. Okay. Oh. As, as well as success, okay. depending on how it's placed. <laughs> okay, the placer could, is it also like the cards around it too? Yeah. Maybe? So normally when I get, when the Knight of Swords appears for a person, they're kind of afraid. Mm -hmm. um, because although, so I, I mentioned it's kind of a violent card. It's not normally like physical violence. Okay. This doesn't normally represent like a physical violent fight, although it can. Um, it can. Anything that happens really fast moving mm -hmm. is really what it's representing. Um, and I have a personal story of how the Knight of Swords um, helped me once when I had a uh, very kind of calm, I was having a very calm time where I was, but I was also really looking for a job. And uh, I did a tarot reading for myself, and the Knight of Swords appeared as my future card. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So after my tarot reading, I did a meditation um, to kind of focus my mind into um, doing, into getting a job. And it was about an hour long, and as soon as the meditation ended, I got this phone call from a person uh, that I hadn't even applied to a job for but had heard of me, had heard of me, and said, oh, uh, I have this job for you. Uh, I heard you'd probably be good for it, and um, can you come here in two hours? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow, so that's that's really fast. Yep. Um, that There's my Knight of Swords right there. Mm -hmm. uh, but what really marked him as the Knight of Swords was when I responded with, like, okay, well, I've got actually some things to do. I've got, you know, a few things like I had a, had some interviews planned that uh, he was actually the boss of those people. Mm. So I was like, so I have interviews with these people. Can you, uh, you know, I'm, is it okay if I come after those? And he's like, and what really characterized him as the Knight of Swords is he told me this, proceed as though no obstacles were in your way <laughs> and I will handle the rest. There and I was go. like, okay, you are definitely my Knight of Swords, <laughs> right? And it was that phrase, um, the, the whole idea that you have to just keep going as if there are no obstacles. 
in your way and things kind of work themselves out. And sure enough, they did. He, you know, since he was their, mm-hmm. the boss of the people I was having interviews <laughs> with, he was able to explain the situation and uh, just move the interviews for me and et cetera, et cetera. And it was, and everything worked out really well. And, you know, I got a new job in two hours, <laughs> two hours after the phone call. So it also shows how quickly the future card can come to pass. It doesn't have to be far down the road. Exactly. It can be like two hours later. Exactly. The future card can always show, like it can technically, it can happen even minutes after your reading, as mm-hmm. soon as you've come to understand something, right? Um in this particular reading that I did for myself, I was asking when my next job would come. Mm. And the fact that it was the Knight of Swords in the future meant it's coming quickly. Okay. That was So that was also an indication that it would be more quickly because the Knight of Swords is not a slow-moving card. It's a very fast card. Whenever it shows up, it, it often... Like, sometimes it can show up just to say that something else is going to happen very quickly. Okay. So, like, if you were to do kind of just a random pulling of cards to answer a question, Mm -hmm. and you put a card down and you asked for, like, a a trait of that card, and you pulled out the Knight of Swords, it would say that whatever you just pulled out is going to happen very quickly. (laughs) Um, And almost almost in a violent way, Mm. right? Um, And the fact that... for example, my own Knight of Swords said, proceed, proceed as if there were no obstacles, is very, of kind of a, one of the characteristics of how quickly things can happen. Right. Right. And, you know, it makes a lot of people uncomfortable to have change happen. And change that quickly. Change, fast change like that can be very unsettling. Mm-hmm. And that's why I call it violent. <laughs> mm, okay. Because it's, it's like... Almost like startling. It's startling. It can make a lot of people uncomfortable. Mm. Um, people are generally not comfortable around a Knight of Swords because things are just happening at such high speeds and et cetera, et cetera. So normally the Knight of Swords does will make people uncomfortable, but unless he's their leader... And then they're like, yeah, things are going, <laughs> things are moving, things are changing. Things, things are happening. Are, things are happening. Yeah. Um, so it's a great card for getting rid of stagnation. Okay. Um, yeah. Right? So that's that's awesome. So these are some of the the trait, the beneficial traits of the Knight of Swords. And he's, like I mentioned before, he's very logical. Um, he doesn't really rely on emotions at all because if he, as soon as the Knight of Swords stops to think about emotions normally one of the things that would pop up would be fear. Mm. And this Knight of Swords has no fear, which does not make him brave. (laughs) The absence of fear is not bravery, right? Um, I always like to remind people that bravery is the ability to overcome fear. Um, However, the fact that the Knight of Swords is fearless means that it is... It's not even perceivable to him how he could fail. So he can only see success ahead of him. Mm -hmm. And... Often this actually works to his benefit. He can often succeed where others have failed um, from even not trying. Yeah. <laughs> right? He just goes full force in. Both of the horse's feet are are in before. Yeah, uh, that's true. There's, there's no gentle trotting here. Um, okay, so uh, if you get this card as your helper, as your future card, as your answer card, I, I feel kind of like we've covered that. What if you get this card as an obstacle? Mm-hmm. This card as an obstacle can be really damaging because it's all of those negative traits of going full force in and not being afraid, um, and it can backfire. Like we, And I would like to remind you of how bad things can go, like with the Ten yeah. of Swords, right? 
Um, yeah, it's not like a surefire that it'll be okay. It's not, no, definitely. The, the tarot actually rarely guarantees success. Um, there's a few cards that are pretty close, but I would say the Knight of Swords is kind of a 50-50 <laughs> okay. if, in that case. Um, the Knight of Swords is more, he's more powerful as a helper, mm-hmm. I would say, because it's like, oh, things are going to happen. It's going to happen quickly. And he's really powerful and uh, he's a good person to have on your mm-hmm. side. But if this shows up as an obstacle, if you were against the Knight of Swords, on and yeah. especially like if the Knight of Swords is a person... Um, and he's showing up as your obstacle, that can be really hard because you, here you are, um, probably a person with fear, <laughs> as most humans do, um, or anxiety or doubt and all these things. And then the Knight of Swords is just pushing through and is really arrogant, doesn't he, can't perceive the, um, the idea that he's wrong or she, right? Like the Knight of Swords can be this person who, as an obstacle, is makes it really difficult to um, to convince them of your per, like convince them of your perspective because mm-hmm. they don't have that perspective at all mm-hmm. and they don't really want to try <laughs> to have that perspective yep. because they don't care about emotions um, all they care about is results and getting things done as quickly as possible and if you're up against someone like that and you need to be moving a little more slowly to succeed or you know if you care about details, the Knight of Swords is not going to make your life easier. Mm. Um, and could it almost like come out of nowhere or seemingly because of the speed? Yes. Too? Yes. So the Knight of Swords as an obstacle could also be something that should, pops up out of nowhere and, um, you know, really makes makes things difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but normally, as an obstacle, um, if the Knight of Swords were to represent a person, it could also represent you. Right. 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 Um, so in this case, you would probably be uh, taking on the more negative traits of the Knight of Swords. Okay. Um, so in this case, it's the as an obstacle for representing you, it would say something along the lines of like, um, it's, it's possible you're being too arrogant in this situation. Mm. You're not able to see the ways that you could fail. You're jumping in before planning properly. Um, yeah, I would say that like, If you have the Knight of Swords as your obstacle, chances are you could probably benefit from acting more like the Knight of Pentacles. Right. Right? Where the Knight of Pentacles like to plan everything Mm -hmm. and uh, saw really far ahead into the future and made the right moves to get to that future that he desired. Mm -hmm. The Knight of Swords does kind thinks more about what's happening in the moment. Um, but that can also be really advantageous if you are in a crisis situation. Right. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. Decline. Oh, you're getting a little phone yeah. call. <laughs> my phone is in the other room, but my computer apparently Darn tech, Darn technology yeah. being all connected and all I those know. things. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the personality trait. Yeah. Oh, do we have time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, we're talking about a, a cool person, too. We are. Right? It's okay. If we go Alexander longer. It's, it's okay, well, I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, so the personality type I best associate with this particular court card is the ESTP personality type. So this is the Meyer Briggs um, extroverted sensing, thinking, and perceiving type. And sometimes they are called the entrepreneur type. Mm. So definitely the kind of person that really likes to make quick decisions, um, like important decisions that are quick. Um, They're very bold and practical people. 
Um, sometimes they're also called like the superhero type okay. because they really like kind of action, jump in. action adventure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, they jump in and, you know, so here are some of their, um, strengths. They are bold as, as you can guess. <laughs> um, they're rational, original. They definitely like to combine the practicality and as well as like their boldness to make new, new ways of doing things, new mm -hmm. solutions. Um, they're perceptive. They're direct, definitely very direct. Mm -hmm. Like the the Knight of Swords and the ESTP have that in common that they are not going to um, they're not going to sugarcoat anything. That's and they better word than I was thinking. Of. <laughs> they're not. <laughs> Yeah, they're not going to yeah. sugarcoat their answers, and sometimes they almost want to say things in like a a more offensive manner mm -hmm. just to see what reaction they get. Um, although they're also very sociable, <laughs> go figure, right? Um, so they're they tend to be better at leading than following. Um, the the Knight of Swords and the ESDP both in this case they don't really like to be told what to do. Mm -hmm. um, they're very like very strong-willed people and um, they really want to find their own way of doing things and um, and be the first to do it like they love being the pioneers mm -hmm. um, so they tend to make great leaders as they can't really follow but <laughs> you know <laughs> they either they, lead or nothing <laughs> they, they either lead or they're gonna be lone wolves yeah. <laughs> that's pretty much it um, so weaknesses as mentioned before is uh, they're insensitive um, they're impatient they I've noticed like a real like almost ADHD quality about mm. the ESDPs that I know in my life, but um, I don't like not all of them have been diagnosed with it. It's right. just kind of like they're all really and unable to stay put mm. and mm -hmm. <laughs> gotta be doing something always. There's there's always like they're involved in like all these different things or yeah, especially if they're the ones that are starting them yeah. <laughs> themselves. They're like in, the leader of all these different things. Uh, they're risk prone which is probably one of the things we mentioned as the disadvantages of the Knight yeah. of Swords as well. They don't really think about the risks. Um, similar to the Knight of Swords, who doesn't think of the risk because in his mind, there is no possibility for failure. <laughs> uh, the ESTP can be unstructured. They're not really thinking long term. They're thinking more what's fun in the moment. Um, and they may miss the bigger picture as a result. And they can also be very defiant. Uh, they don't like being told what to do. I do they don't seem like they would. <laughs> no. Um, ESTPs tend to struggle, I think, in school settings. Mm, um, yeah. So they might have been, like, that rebel kid in your class. Yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, I also know an ESTP who ended up being a teacher, so uh, that's... That'd be an interesting teacher. Oh, she's brilliant. Yeah. She's so good. And she does, like, all these different things all at the same time. And she's running, like, a bunch of clubs and everything. You know, I don't know if she did what particularly well in school herself, but I know that she's makes a great teacher because That's wonderful. no one's telling her what to do now. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, it's, as although they can be defiant, it, it also tends to be one of their strengths and weaknesses. And mm -hmm. All these things play together. So, cool. uh, who is our... Our Knight of Swords. Our Knight of from, Swords. From the classics. Yep, is Alexander the Great. And the more you're him. <laughs> I, you know, I hope. No. <laughs> I hope yeah. most, most of the listeners will have at least heard um, who yeah. he is, if not more about him, which we'll get into more detail yeah. today. Um, that's a nice thing about him, though, is that he is in so much of our 
popular culture. He is, yeah. There's at least a few movies of him. At least a few. <laughs> and he's in, in movies and shows and all that jazz. So all right. um, get into detail. So he was an actual person. <laughs> he was not a mythical. He's a real boy. Real boy. Um, who lived from 356 to 323 BCE. So not a very long life. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born in Macedonia, which is now part of modern day Greece, but during the classical period when he you know, was alive and ruled, um, Ma- Macedonia, oh, sorry, he was seen as more of like barbaric land because it was mm-hmm. just to the north. It wasn't considered, you know, part of Greek, quote unquote Greece because they didn't see themselves as a country then. Okay. They're, yeah, seen as different and other. Um, but the Macedonians, um, so they weren't part of, they eventually became part of the Hellenistic culture, but it wasn't until Alexander's father, Philip, invaded and laid claim to Athens and their Greek allies, um, that they really became embedded in the culture. So Alexander himself was actually part of some of those pivotal battles, um, such as the Battle of Chironia, um, in 338, where he commanded one of the cavalries. And this was, like, the big decisive battle. So that's pretty neat that he was there with his father. That is cool, yeah. Yeah. Um, To understand Alexander and his accomplishments, it's important to understand his father, Philip, as well, because he was the one who truly transformed uh, Macedon into a strong and centralized monarchy, and his military reforms are what made Macedon the premier military power in the region. Oh, so Alex, Alexander, so he, he, it didn't come from nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. He, he was very, very lucky <laughs> when he took over as ruler after his father's death because yeah. he had, you know, a superior army that was fully equipped, not only with trained soldiers, but seasoned generals as well. As well as the experience of having like already led them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So he wasn't just like, okay, going to start from scratch. Like he had something already fully fledged and kind of just handed to him. Well, no, it, it was a bit of a struggle, but basically <laughs> handed to him. It was a bit, ex- yeah, yeah, okay. Um, but he was only 20 years old when his father died too, which is young um, yeah. when he took over. And in his younger years, he had the fortune of being tutored by Aristotle. Aristotle himself. Aristotle himself taught him until he was 16 years old. And this is part of how his parents groomed him for his future role, um, especially because his education included learning about Greek literature and culture, um, Mm -hmm. which is where his love for heroes like Heracles and Achilles came from, um, who he will later associate himself with, and we'll we'll get to in a bit. That's cool. He associated himself as a hero. Yeah. Talk about arrogance, eh? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So Alexander did not waste any time after his ascension. Um, And going against the advice of his counselors, he went to Greece to secure his position there, followed quickly by a northern campaign. So this is what made me think, again, at the Knight of Swords, is that he, like, did not waste any time. He sprung into action right away. He was constantly doing something. Constantly. So in the spring of 334, Alex began his invasion of Asia by uh, leading his forces of approximately 37,000 across the Hellespont. So um, Alex's first actions were um, actually quite theatrical once he got there. Um, when he left ashore, he cast his spear into the land to claim that all he conquered um, as territory won by spear because he speared the land. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's like, well, not exactly. Not exactly. But... I get I get your metaphor, Alexander. Yes. Like that's <laughs> part of the theatrics. Like it was spear taken, like, yeah, sure. Okay, so he definitely had kind of a theatrical mind oh, yeah. and was was thinking very grandly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and so at this point, he actually went to the traditional site of Troy, um, where he made a sacrifice to Athena and asked for a pardon from the Trojan king Priam, again, mythical king mm-hmm. Priam, for invading his territory. And he paid homage to Achilles, who he believed was one of his ancestors. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> So there were some issues he faced on his campaign, mainly a lack of manpower and resources, but this certainly did not stop him. Um, I'm not going to go into detail with the various battles and strategies he used, partly because there is not enough time, um, but also (laughs) because I find kind of other aspects a little more interesting, so I apologize. That's okay. (laughs) Um, But I will obviously say that he did conquer a lot of land um, to the east and to the south into Egypt, where he also created a new city called Alexandria. Yes. And there was a really nice library there. (laughs) There was, until it was destroyed. (laughs) So he's the one that started Alexandria. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which makes sense, because it was named after him. Yeah, (laughs) not an ego at all. No, yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, So what I find really interesting about this part of his life are the artworks created surrounding this event and him being in Egypt. So we actually get to see representations of Alexander as a pharaoh sitting before the god Amun-Ra and Toth at a temple, a Luxor temple in Thebes. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so once again, we have that Knight of Swords arrogance Mm -hmm. showing up a little bit, yeah. Oh, definitely. And the grandeur as well, yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, His coins are also um, super interesting because of who he associates himself with there. So we actually see his face um, with a lion mane on his head, or more like a lion skin with the mouth kind of almost eating his head. Is that like Hercules? Exactly. (laughs) It's exactly what it was, because Hercules, of course, also wore a lion skin. Yes. Um, And on the other side of the coin, we um, we see Zeus depicted in a seated position with a staff in one hand and an eagle in the other, which is uh, very similar to a large chryselephantine statue of Zeus at Olympia. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you remember, Zeus is the father of Heracles. So now... So he's pretty much saying, I am am a god. Yeah, not (laughs) only am I, like, one of the mythical heroes, uh, you know, Zeus is my father, so I have supreme authority as well, and the gods on my side. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can see how, like, people would, would feel con- confident in his leadership. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Definitely. With, with this kind of publicity. True. Very, very true. Yeah. Um, so another reason why I like art depicting Alexander is that whether they're coins or statues, mosaics, he, he had a very clear and easily distinguishable look. Mm-hmm. He's always shown with a cowlick at the front of his forehead, and his eyes were very often upturned toward upturned as if he was looking towards the heavens. And as you're describing the Knight of Swords, it reminded me of uh, an Alexander mosaic from Pompeii, mm-hmm. and he's also just sitting on a horse with a spear and this. And, like, kind of riding and riding, riding towards his, his foe exactly. while burying his face. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because the hell? So you're going to know that it's him. You exactly. have to know that it's he's, really there. he's there on the, the front line. It's really important to the Knight of Swords for their foe to know who they're fighting. Yes. Yeah. And that's exactly what he's doing. So it's so funny that it is, mm-hmm. I don't know, very, very similar there. Yes. 
Um, so we haven't really talked too much about his personality, like, per se, but at yeah. least, like, from his actions, we can see that he's clearly ambitious, um, but we also know that he was quite a drinker and a gambler, <laughs> <laughs> and so are some of his closest friends. Um, actually, the year before his death, um, his most intimate friend, Hephaestion, drank himself to death. Um, wow. And in, sorry, and in his state of deep grief, um, Alexander executed... Hephaestion's doctor <laughs> and in oh, no. a monstrous ziggurat like uh, monument was to be built for him at ba- at Babylon which is where um, he passed away wow yeah so I feel bad for the doctor <laughs> <laughs> yeah because it's his fault for you it's know like you the guy sh- getting super drunk probably shouldn't have drank yourself to death yeah. it is poison it is it's poison yeah but that just shows I guess you know his anger and his not so nice side. Yeah. Um, and then on... He makes quick decisions without necessarily yes. thinking about the... The consequences. The consequences, yeah. yeah. Um, and then on May the 29th, this is 323, um, Alexander fell ill at a party hosted by one of his officers. So after suffering from a fever and delirium for almost two weeks, he died on June the 10th. Wow. Yeah. Do you think it was poison or... Alcohol. <laughs> I don't possibly know. alcohol. Possibly, poisoning. I mean, there are there are lots of different theories, and and mm-hmm. yeah, one of them is that he was assassinated and and poisoned. But also being a drinker, it is hard to say. Yeah, it's possible. Like in the time as well, they wouldn't have known like necessarily the consequences of drinking or how it, how it yeah. killed them. Like so, yeah. It, it, yeah, he he probably just got sick from something there, and yeah, it could have been food poisoning. It could have even. been, yeah, because yeah, he did get sick pre- like years before too. That was pretty bad, but he was able to pull through. But mm-hmm. this yeah. time he couldn't. Not this time, um, and unfortunately, his resting place also still kind of remains a bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. So some people believe that he stayed in in Babylon where where he died, yeah. um, but others believe that he was taken to Memphis and then later relocated to Alexandria. So um, there isn't like a tomb there. Um, it is said that Caesar visited his tomb in Alexandria, and Octavian, Caesar's heir, Caesar's heir, um, is also said to have visited him, probably because Caesar did too. Yeah. Um, but his meeting went a little awry because as he reached to place flowers in the sarcophagus, he accidentally broke off a piece of his nose. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. Well, that's. That's quite the opposite of what he was intending. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to get, like, touched just a little to, like, you know, good luck. And no, broke his nose. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I had to mention it. I yeah. just thought it was Was it Octavian yeah. that broke it? Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, like you said before, it really does feel like Alexander became the stuff of legends. Yeah. Um, by the, like, he was probably, like, the first of his kind, too, to take over so much, or? Um, it was definitely one of the largest empires of the ancient world. Um, it stretched from, you know, Greece to northwest Africa, or sorry, not Africa, um, India and into Africa, um, yeah. in Egypt. It was very large. I mean, the Romans did end up taking over all of that and then some. Yeah. Um, the Persians also had a very large empire as well, but the speed at which he did it was quite impressive, I would say. And he, I mean, some say, yeah, he never lost a battle. Whether that's true or not, I don't want that. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have wanted to be his enemy, that's for sure. <laughs> no. 
Definitely not. He definitely had a reputation and maintains it for forever. centuries. Yeah, forever he's maintained <laughs> for it. For millennia, yep. All right. Well, we were pretty there much we running out of time. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank, thank you. That's good. Yes. Uh, all right. So if you want to contact us, uh, we do have a Facebook group. We have an Instagram. Um, and you can also comment on, mm-hmm. on the podcast. And we would love to hear from you. You can yeah. also uh, email us. What mm-hmm. is our email? MythTaraLove at gmail.com. We're all the platforms. MythTaraLove. MythTaraLove. Yep. So if you are listening to this podcast, you know how it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. I try yeah. to make it easy. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so next week we're going to look at the Queen of Swords, yeah. which is one of my heroes. Oh. <laughs> I often look at the Queen of Swords and I'm like, oh, you're so badass. <laughs> and we're going to look at a female hero, so it'll be good. It'll be great. Okay, so we're going to look at the Queen of Swords next week, but before we go, I'm going to leave you off with... Um, Some words of wisdom that come from the American Tarot Association. Mm -hmm. Whenever you feel afraid or indecisive, call on the Knight of Swords to give you a shot of confidence and clarity. Myth and Tarot Where do the ideas go? Let's talk about stories, swords, and symbols And all 